Welcome back to another episode of Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and today I'm riding solo, but I'll be here diving into all of the week four action and the aftermath. But first, a reminder, you can subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, Google, and more. And if you like the show, we'd love if you leave us a five-star review. So as I mentioned, I'm going to be rolling solo for this week. It's going to be a bit of an abbreviated episode, but still want to touch on all of that glorious college ball action that we had in week four. For me personally, I had a pretty good week four myself. Six and four against the spread with the picks I gave out on Twitter. 0 and 1 on my money line parlay of the week. Having a hard time hitting those. Getting closer. Getting closer. I thought I was I was pretty close there yesterday. I had Baylor, Washington State, and North Carolina. Only ended up hitting one of those three legs, but looked like that Washington State leg was going to hit for a while. I'm kind of glad it didn't because that would have just made me more mad about the the North Carolina loss there. Uh, but against the spread on the season. Doing pretty well. 24 and 15 on the season, 0 and 4 on those money line parlays. So uh, follow me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. That's where you can find all of my picks. I post all of my picks there the against the spread picks and the money line parlay of the week. I know I've been a little bit of hit and miss with the preview shows. So make sure you're following me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. Those preview shows are going to be a bit hit and miss throughout the rest of the season. Definitely want to get them up when I can. But if I can't, I'm always posting those picks on Twitter. So make sure you follow me there if you want my picks at Gorg on Sports. All right, without further ado, let's get into the week four action. And where I want to start today is talking about what I think was the most impactful game of the day, and that was Kansas State going on the road and beating number six Oklahoma 41-34. And last week I came on this show and I raved about how good I thought Oklahoma was, how impressed I was with their defense. On Twitter, I posted this graph earlier in the week that showed just how impressive from both a success rate staying on track and an explosiveness level Oklahoma had been offensively to start the year and how they were basically the best offense in the Big 12 while Kansas State was at the bottom of the barrel. And I I bet on Oklahoma. I bet Oklahoma minus 13 and a half. I actually even... Saturday morning, I bet on Oklahoma to win the Big 12 as a future at plus 160. I thought it was insane that they were still plus odds. I thought they were going to be clearly the best team in the Big 12 the rest of the way. And the way I thought about it was I'm getting myself a plus 160 ticket on them in the Big 12 championship game. Because in my mind, the way they had been playing in no way, shape, or form, were they not going to go to the Big 12 championship game? And then lo and behold, Kansas State came in to Norman and they did what they've done to Oklahoma so many times, which is just, just beat them. They just went in there and beat them. And it was nothing fluky about it. It was just that Kansas state offense led by Adrian Martinez and Deuce Vaughn doing what we thought they could do preseason but Martinez also doing it through the air as well. He had 234 yards through the air and a touchdown, no picks, and went on the ground. 148 yards and four touchdowns, seven yards a carry. Vaughn added another 116 yards. 
and they just thrashed the Oklahoma defense. They looked like the far superior offense, and they looked like the better team. Oklahoma was having issues with false starts, with penalties, and it just didn't look like their night. And this is why college football is so great, because I was convinced that Oklahoma was one of the best teams in the country, a college ball playoff contender, and here comes Kansas State and flips everything we know on its head. So big kudos to Kansas State, to Chris uh, to Chris Kleiman, uh, Adrian Martinez. He's had a little bit of a rough st- start to the year. He wasn't exactly thriving to start the season, but that all changed in Norman last night prior to Prior to that game against Oklahoma, his season high in passing yards was 150 yards and a loss to Tulane. Last night, 234 yards. So can't say enough about Adrian Martinez. Can't say enough about what the, what they've done, that Kansas State program. And Chris, uh, Chris Kleiman's ability to just always find a way to beat Oklahoma. My other big takeaway from this is the answer to any question you have is, it's Nebraska is that bad. Oklahoma looked great, and it's because Nebraska is that bad. Northwestern, to start the season, week zero, they looked really good, and it's because Nebraska is that bad. If you didn't take notice, Northwestern lost to Miami of Ohio at home last night a week after losing to Southern Illinois. So no, Northwestern is not a good football team. Nebraska is that bad. And I was fooled. I was absolutely fooled by Oklahoma against Nebraska. I thought it was because Oklahoma was that good. No, 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 no. Nebraska is just that bad. But I think this sets up a really interesting Big 12 the rest of the way here. I think this conference is an absolutely wide open one. I was just looking at the conference championship odds on DraftKings. And now Baylor is plus 320. They are the favorite at plus 320 after going on the road and getting a win at Iowa State. Kansas State checks in next at plus 400. Oklahoma also at plus 400. So right now, the odds makers say Kansas State and Oklahoma have about the same odds of winning the conference. Oklahoma next at plus 425. Texas at plus 800. After that devastating loss in Lubbock. And TCU plus 1,000. Texas Tech plus 1,800. Kansas also plus 1,800. And this is about as wide open a Big 12 as I can ever remember. I know that when we were doing our Big 12 preview show, you know, I was talking about who were some long shots. And I, I did. I bet on Kansas State to win the Big, Big 12. But, you know, I think it's important in betting to, to change opinions. To You can't get stuck with one opinion and let it kill you the whole year. Well, this is one where I wish I did just stick with that opinion because I got that Kansas State team at plus 1,200, 12 to 1 odds preseason to win the Big 12. And I, I wish I kind of, you know, I, the reason is because I thought they could present unique challenges on the ground, which is exactly what they did last night with, with Martinez and uh, Vaughn. And I kind of wish I stuck with that because my opinion flipped through the first couple weeks of the season. I was so impressed with Oklahoma, and that was just the wrong opinion. So now we have a wide-open race the rest of the year, and I feel like this is when college football becomes fun and more exciting 
as opposed to just focusing on these national championship races and who's going to make the playoff, this Big 12 race by itself, regardless of the playoff implications, is going to be a fantastic race. We're going to have games week in and week out that matter. And to me, winning a conference championship is still a very worthy endeavor in itself, a worthy goal. Even if you don't make the playoff, I think there you can still be very proud as both a player, a coach, and a fan. You get a lot of great memories as a fan if your team goes out and wins a conference championship. So I think sometimes we, we talk so much about the national championship, the college football playoff. It's important to take a step back and remember that Conference title races can be fun in themselves, and I think this is a conference title race that's going to be a blast the rest of the way. So we talked about the the DraftKings odds. Well, Bill Connolly, who creates SP Plus analytics system over at ESPN, he put out his top four uh, title odds per SP Plus this week, and he has Oklahoma with a 34% chance to win, Baylor with a 16% chance, Kansas State 15%, Oklahoma State 14%. I'm going to be really interested to see what Oklahoma State can bring to the table before the season. I kind of like them because I thought in a year where there's a lot of change going on, they have some consistency with, with Mike Gundy at the helm. And they're going on the road to Baylor next week. They're right now getting a point and a half at Baylor. And I I can't wait to, to see what Oklahoma State brings to the table in a big, big 12 showdown. I, if I had to bet it right now, right at this very moment, with the current odds that we have, I still kind of like Oklahoma at plus 400. I mean, that's a lot. Of, they, with that loss... They drop from plus 160 to plus 400. I think you can still buy low a bit on Oklahoma. I don't think, I think there's going to be a wide open race. And I think they're as well equipped as anybody to, to get in it, to end up in that big 12 championship game. So not a bad buy low spot. The other team I would like is Oklahoma State at plus 425. I don't think there's a ton of value at this point. Kansas State plus 400. As I mentioned, I got them at plus 1,200 before the season, so I don't think it's a good time to buy on them. So for me, it's the two Bedlam teams, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State. If you're going to try to bet right now, maybe buy low on Oklahoma. But we'll have to see how they respond because they have a very tough game next week. They go on the road to TCU, who took down SMU over the weekend. So uh, Big 12, something I'm really looking forward to the rest of the season and, and can't wait to just see how it all plays out. Another game that I thought was among the most impactful of the day was number five Clemson surviving Wake Forest in Winston-Salem, two overtimes, 51-45. You know, for me, thinking about that game going into the weekend, I thought that of these two games Clemson has, which was Wake Forest this weekend and then NC State next weekend, the game that they were actually had a better, the game they had a better chance to lose was this Wake Forest game. Because Wake Forest presents something that NC State simply does not. The ability to make Clemson score in the 40s. And I wasn't sure if Clemson could do that. I wasn't sure if Clemson could answer the bell 
and go toe-to-toe with an offense as powerful as Wake Forest and as explosive as, as Wake. And lo and behold, Clemson did. They answered the bell. They put up 51. They won in a shootout. Uh, DJ Weungalele really showed out in this game. 371 yards, five touchdowns for a quarterback who has so often been criticized. And I, I thought just a really nice all-around offensive day for the Clemson Tigers. DJU was spreading that ball around. They had receivers with 84 yards, 72 yards, 60 yards, 51 yards, 41 yards. He was spreading that thing around like crazy among among his 26 completions that he had. And on the Wake Forest side, you got to give credit to them because they did exactly what Wake Forest does, which is put up a ton of points. Sam Hartman, unreal game. 337 yards, six touchdowns, uh, just a fantastic game by him. Always impressed by him. Always impressed by the Wake Forest wide receivers, especially A.T. Perry. He didn't have the the greatest stat line in the world, but he had one nice touchdown, uh, four receptions, 51 yards, and a touchdown. And they put up 337 yards through the air. So Wake Forest presented the challenge that we thought they might be able to, and credit to Clemson for answering the bell. So now Clemson's got to come back out next week, go to Raleigh, and and face an NC State team that has expectations at an all-time high. I think Clemson is much better equipped to win that game than they were to win this game in a shootout because I think against NC State, it's going to be a low-scoring, grinded-out game, defensive battle, and if you're going to get into that type of game with Clemson, I don't think you can beat Clemson at that game. I think where you can potentially beat Clemson is in a shootout, but this weekend they said, hey, we can win that kind of game too. So kudos to Clemson. Uh, They... According to Bill Connolly, they had a post-game win expectancy of just 31%. But you know what? They got the job done. They got the win. And sometimes that's all that matters. I wouldn't be shocked if they drop one at some point, maybe on the road to Florida State. That's a team I'm liking a lot more these days. And I was trying to find some odds on that. Let's see. Florida State now plus 750 to win the ACC. So if you're looking to take a shot against Clemson, I'm not a fan of NC State personally. You can get them at plus 700. Miami looks absolutely atrocious, getting blown out by Middle Tennessee State. They don't look like they belong anywhere on the same field with Clemson. Uh, But you can get Florida State at plus 750. It's one I might consider. I I was hoping it would be maybe a little bit higher, uh, but I I don't like NC State. Definitely don't like Miami, so Florida State would be the one I would consider there. And uh, I think I'm going to really be looking forward to that game in Tallahassee on October 15th. Florida State now undefeated, 4-0, blew out Boston College. They have a really interesting three-game stretch ahead where they have Wake at home at NC State and then Clemson at home. And that will tell you right there how, quote-unquote, back the Seminoles are. I've been impressed with them so far. I like what they're doing offensively. 
I like Jordan Travis at quarterback. It was great that he was able to play against Boston College. Had a great game, 321 yards as they routed the Eagles 44-14. So again, another race that I think is really going to be interesting. And we'll see, you know, Clemson last year against Wake Forest, they put up a lot of points, but that wasn't, it never, it didn't necessarily jumpstart them where you're like, okay, this is a good offensive team. We will see with Clemson. Teams grow, teams develop, teams change. I think Clemson, I don't think they're stagnant, and maybe, just maybe, their offense is growing. I mean, let, let's be honest about something. They've put up 41 points, 35 points, 48 points, 51 points. I don't know too many teams in the country where we'd be nitpicking so much about their offense when they're basically, you know, they're scoring basically in the 40s every single game. So we will see what happens with Clemson. It's going to be an interesting test against NC State, but I truly think this Wake Forest game was the bigger test for them. But the thing to watch going forward is can the offense continue this? Can the offense continue at this pace and come through when needed like they did this weekend. So Clemson survives in double overtime. Big one for the Tigers. The next thing I want to talk about here are two Pac-12 powers surviving road tests. Number 15, Oregon, goes to Washington State, pulls victory from the jaws of defeat, winning 44-41, and then number 7, USC, beating Oregon State in a 17-14 game. That total ends up being 31. The total in that game was right around 70. So not the game that anybody was expecting, but both teams got some games out. You know, I watched 90% of that Washington State game, and I was so impressed with Washington State for most of that game with their creativity from a play-calling perspective offensively with Cam Ward at quarterback and how he was able to make plays. I hadn't been super impressed with him in the other games I'd seen earlier in the year, Um, but I thought he was really impressive improvising and making plays. I was impressed with their defense, and then all of a sudden, things fell apart for the Cougars. They were leading 34-22. to after scoring a touchdown with 6.42 to go. I mean, that game should have been in the bag. And then the much maligned Bo Nix drives Oregon down the field, 11 plays, 75-yard drive, cuts the deficit to five. Oregon, uh, Washington State, rather, goes three and out on the next possession, gives the ball right back. Nix takes him 69 yards again down the field in a minute to give Oregon the lead 37-34, and then gamblers everywhere who are on Washington State groaned when Cam Ward threw a screen that was intercepted, taken to the house, pick six, but the gambling gods said, we're not going to do you like that, Washington State betters. Washington State (laughs) looked like they they scored what was a 61-yard touchdown pass, It was called down at the one, and then Washington State had time for one more play. 
scored to give Washington State betters the cover. I was one of those betters. I was happy about that, but I was absolutely gutted for Washington State fans because I, I was so impressed with that team. I was so impressed with with what they were doing. I thought they were going to be 4-0, and I was going to be leading the bandwagon that that team needs to be ranked. They, they were an impressive team, and I was going to start saying, you know, this is maybe the third best team in the Pac-12, and it, now you got to see how do they respond? How do they respond coming out of it? Because they still can accomplish a lot this season. They have Cal next week, and then they go on the road to USC. And, you know, it's do they let this game define their season or do they bounce back and say, hey, we took Oregon down to the wire. We should have had that game, and we're going to make sure this doesn't happen again. On the flip side for Oregon, got to give all the credit in the world to Bo Nix for how he came up big in the last few minutes of that game. Um, and just a, a really impressive performance. You know, Nix has been questionable at best on the road. He, he He's known for inconsistent up and down performances, but he came through when it mattered most. And I, I, I still, I'm not sold on this Oregon D at all. I think they got to figure some things out defensively, but the offense is good. The offense can score, I think, with with almost anybody in the country and certainly anybody in the conference. So again, a third conference where I think we're just going to have a really fun race the rest of the way. The other team that went down to the wire last night was USC. USC had not been tested in any way, shape, or form to start the season. And boy, oh boy, were they tested last night by Oregon State. This is a game that was nip-tuck all night. I was shocked when the score was 7-3 to three at halftime. That is just not something that I ever saw coming with this game. I thought this was going to be run-and-gun, high-scoring, and really what we've seen from USC all year is the ability to score, score, score. And Oregon State doesn't exactly have the world's best defense. They've been pretty good offensively this season as well and and I just thought this was going to be a high scoring game it was not and it ended up being a grinded out affair USC benefited from four Oregon State interceptions USC now has a turnover margin of 14 forced turnovers on the year no turnovers committed themselves now some of that is certainly a skill but some of that is luck that I think is going to come back and haunt them in some way. I'm impressed by USC and their ability to go out and win a different style of game, kind of much like Clemson going out and winning in a shootout. I'm impressed by USC's ability to win a grinded-out, nip-tuck affair on the road in Corvallis. But I still think when I look at this Pac-12, I, I still just like Utah as the best team in this league. Utah, since losing that opening weekend game in the swamp to Florida, has done nothing but take care of business. They did so again last night, going on the road and beating Arizona State 34-13. to To me, that is still the best team in the conference until proven otherwise. Bill Connolly has Utah at a 28% chance to win the league. USC at a 27% chance, so they are right there neck and neck. And really the same thing when you look at DraftKings. Utah the favorite at plus 160, USC at plus 180. 
I still like Utah better. I still give them the benefit of the doubt. Like I said, USC, impressive winning a, a grinded out game, but I, I do have some questions in their first real test about where exactly that vaunted offense went and why they were only able to pass for 180 yards, 16 of 36, five yards per pass for Caleb Williams. So I, ha- I have some questions about that. And, you know, is the offense as good as it looked when they were playing Rice, Stanford, and Fresno State? And maybe are we going to see something different when we get in the conference play here? So again, like I said, a third conference where I'm really excited to see how this plays out on a week-to-week basis. I think you're going to get good matchups. I think there are seven, the top seven teams in this league, uh, Utah, USC, Oregon, Washington, Washington State, Oregon State, UCLA, I think are probably as good as any other top seven in the country outside of the SEC because Georgia and Alabama are just on another level. And then you have some really good teams in, in the West. But, you know, put that up against the Big Ten, put it up against the Big 12, Put it up against certainly the ACC. I think it's much better than what the ACC has to offer right now. And I think it's going to be fun just the rest of the way. And it does concern me. Like, I was big on Utah before the season as a playoff team. I'm not so big on that anymore because I think this conference is too good where there's going to be just an opportunity for Utah to slip up. Their next four games for Utah, I still think they are the best team in this league, but they have Oregon State, UCLA, USC, at Washington State. And then a couple weeks later, they go on the road to Oregon. So I think they probably do end up losing one more. I, I feel like this Utah team is a 10-2 team. Uh, because this league is just there. There's two. You got to be on your game every single night right now. And you know we saw that. We saw that over the weekend. Oregon probably should have lost that game. USC could have lost to Oregon State. But credit to both of them. They made the plays when it mattered most, and they came out with victories. So I, I'm just super excited to watch. Uh, the Big 12, ACC, and the Pac-12 the rest of the way. So do got to talk a little bit of SEC here. A couple big top 25 SEC matchups last night. Number 10, Texas A&M beats number 23, Arkansas. I'm sorry, flip that. Number uh, 23, A&M beats number 10, Arkansas, 23-21 to 21 in Jerry World. Uh, just a, a weird weird game from the A&M fumble recovery in the shadow of their own goal line that they returned for a touchdown at the end of the half that, you know, seemed to to flip that game to Arkansas with a game-winning field goal attempt hitting the top of the crossbar, hitting the top of the of the goalpost rather and not bouncing in. Just a weird game all around and I come away from this one still not liking Texas A&M at all and what they can do offensively. All we heard all week was that Arkansas's uh, defense was not good, that they were primed to kind of help Texas A&M get right, help that passing game get right well. 
Didn't really happen that way. Max Johnson, 11 of 21, 151 yards. That's not exactly getting right, if you ask me. Uh, who who really carried the load for them was the running back, A-Chain. 159 yards, 8.4 yards per carry. He is the guy that's keeping them afloat offensively. I, I still just do not like this Texas A&M team. I mean, we saw, how does that Miami win look right now? They beat Miami, you know, it's dangerous to play the transitive property game, but they beat Miami 17-9, to and Miami looked absolutely horrific losing to Middle Tennessee State. That App State loss even, I mean, App State hasn't exactly set the world on fire since they beat Texas A&M in College Station. They won on a Hail Mary against Troy, and then they lost to JMU. They blew a a big lead against JMU. JMU in their first year in the FBS over the weekend, and they lost to a pretty bad North Carolina team. I mean, North Carolina was extraordinarily unimpressive. Uh, hosting Notre Dame over the weekend. So I just look at the, how Texas A&M has played and against the te- and how they've played against the teams they have played, and I still do not like this team at all. I really like Mississippi State uh, when they play in Starkville. Starkville, these teams will play in Starkville next weekend. I like Mississippi State in a low-scoring game. Uh, I don't like – I just continue to not like – this AM team at all. The other big game, and I think one that might change some of our perspectives a little bit, was Tennessee beating Florida 38-33 at home. I think final score definitely closer than the game actually was. At one point, Tennessee was up 38 to 21. And Tennessee for the most part looked pretty good in this one. The the High-powered offense was as advertised. Hendon Hooker had a fantastic game, going for 349 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. Uh, Anthony Richardson looked a lot better than he had in the previous two games for Florida. He had 453 yards to the air and then added another 62 on the ground. But th- this Tennessee offense is legit, and I think it's time to start having a conversation when you think about who the third best team in the SEC is, I, I think you got to consider Tennessee. Now, they go on the road to LSU. Uh, in two weeks, they have a bye. They go on the road to LSU, and LSU is a team that's bounced back after that tough opening week loss to Florida State, especially beating Mississippi State a couple of weeks ago. I think their defense is is pretty impressive, and it'll be interesting to see, you know, can Tennessee win a different style of game? Going on the road to a good defensive team, can they win a grinded-out game? And if they can win that game, then I think you really have to start talking about, like, okay, this is potential, This they have the potential to be a 10-2 team, and, you know, kind of just on the outside looking in of the cultural playoff, I still don't think that they can beat Alabama. I don't think that they can beat Georgia, and they will play both of those teams this year but you know what Josh Heupel has done is impressive and you have to give them credit and they're a fun team to watch so I think that LSU game will be very telling especially coming off a bye and a team that wants to be considered the third best team in the SEC that wants to win double digit games that's a game they coming off a bye 
figure out how to win. But kudos to Tennessee. Uh, looked like an unbelievable atmosphere in Knoxville. They've struggled so much against Florida, and they got the job done. So kudos to Tennessee, and I think that's a legit top 10 team, but they're going to have to prove it on the road against LSU in a couple weeks. All right, let's get to some winners and losers here. So for me, the biggest winner of the week was Minnesota, but P.J. Fleck in particular. Minnesota absolutely romped Michigan State in East Lansing. They are looking like a team that is the favorite, in my opinion, they, they got to be the favorite now to win the Big Ten West. I mean, they just roll teams with their running game. They have an uh, unreal defense. They've only allowed a total of 24 points on the season. They beat Michigan State 34-7, to and once again, Michigan State's pass defense did not look good. Their secondary was exposed. Tanner Morgan, only three incompletions, 268 yards for three touchdowns. Minnesota is looking good, and I think P.J. Fleck is going to be a very, very hot name in this year's coaching cycle. This is 100% pure speculation, but it's not going to surprise me at all if you start hearing his name associated with the Nebraska job, whether they're legit reports or just people connecting the dots or just fans on message boards. I'm not going to be shocked if you start hearing about P.J. Flack potentially being a candidate for that Nebraska job, given that he's in that Big Ten West with Nebraska. They've kind of seen up close and personal what he's done with Minnesota. I wouldn't be surprised if that's a name fans start clamoring for. And that kind of brings me to my loser of the week, which is, who is Jeff Collins, uh, reportedly out at Georgia Tech after three years and change. By the time you hear this, he might officially be out at Georgia Tech. And Collins just never seemed to be able to get things going at Tech. He he came in with a lot of promise. And, you know, he's not, not at all that dissimilar to P.J. Fleck, where they're both very enthusiastic and energetic, very out there. That stuff was very out there on social media. But the results just weren't there. I, uh, they, they weren't there on the field. They weren't there it, from a recruiting respect perspective. They, they were not doing a lot of things, a lot of the things that they set out to do. But most importantly, at the end of the day, they, they weren't winning on the field. Uh, this was a team that I you know loved their season win total under before the year. My thought was since Jeff Collins has been there, They've gone three and nine, three and seven, and three and nine. So why should I expect them to win more than three games this year? That was what the total was, three and a half. I went under that, and it'll be interesting to see if they have any sort of kind of uh, you know interim bounce, if you will, and if they start playing a little bit harder and and can pick up a win or two. But it was just not happening under Collins, and I don't know what you do next. If you're Georgia Tech, I still think Georgia Tech is in a in a very advantageous situation as far as location goes, being located in one of the most talent rich cities in the country. I lived there for seven years. There is still a passionate fan base around that Georgia Tech program. It's a different fan base than you might find 
at Georgia or the SEC schools that surround it, but there's certainly still passion around that fan base. And I think the school does. I think the program has a lot to sell being a school actually located in the city of Atlanta, in Midtown Atlanta, a a great place to go to school, uh, you know, super highly regarded academic institution. I think there are things to sell about playing football at Georgia Tech that, you know, Georgia maybe can't offer, that Florida can't offer. It's just a, it's a different experience. And I still do believe with the right coach, with the right person to sell those things, that it, it can be a program that competes, especially in the ACC. I mean, if you look at the ACC, there's only a handful of schools to me that should expect to have more success than the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. And that's Clemson, that's Florida State, that's North Carolina. I don't even put Miami in in that category. I think Miami and Georgia Tech are actually very similar in a lot of ways. So I I would say there's three schools and maybe even that North Carolina one is questionable to some people. I just think North Carolina has so much opportunity to become a great football program. But at a minimum, Clemson and Florida State are the only two schools that should, without a doubt, no question, be better at football than Georgia Tech in the ACC. So I don't know who exactly the right answer is. I It's kind of what I said with Nebraska. I would tend to go towards somebody like a Chris Kleiman, somebody who has built a program up and knows how to work with potentially limited resources because you don't have the same resources at Georgia Tech that you do with some of the surrounding SEC schools. You are in a competitive marketplace where you have to kind of try to find advantages on the margin. So I like the idea of going that route for Georgia Tech was there with their next coach. I don't know who that person may be, but I still am pretty high on this tech job. And I think that this can be a program that's at the very top of the ACC, going to bowl games every year, competing for the occasional conference title, Orange Bowl berth. And, you know, when we go to a 12-team playoff, potentially even a 12-team playoff. So I, I think this is a job that is still probably pretty attractive to some coaches out there. Uh, But right now, Jeff Collins is the loser of the week, and we'll see if Georgia Tech can turn it around going forward. All right, let's finish things up tonight with our Maryland Minute and our look ahead to week four. So Maryland had a hard-fought conference opener loss to number four Michigan, that 34-27. And Brian asked me last week on the show, you know, what would make me happy? Because I wrote this one off completely as a loss. But he said, what would what would have to happen to make you feel encouraged? And one of the things I said is, I want the offense to show out and show that this is truly uh, uh, offense that can be elite and can score against the best. And you know what? I, I don't think the, all, the offense was far from perfect, but I thought they did a really nice job of staying ahead of schedule in the first half, staying on schedule, moving the ball, getting chunk plays, and not just relying on one explosive play here, one explosive play there. The game started as as poorly as it possibly could for Maryland. Uh, the fumbling the opening kickoff actually 
just ball just bounced right off Ty Felton's helmet. Michigan recovers. They score on their first play. And Maryland responds with a really nice, solid 40-yard, eight-play uh, field goal drive. Maryland eventually, uh, after Michigan scores to go up 10-3, goes on a 75-yard, 13-play drive. They ate up almost uh, almost 545 of game time. And it was just, again, a drive where they were staying ahead of schedule and things didn't look particularly hard for this offense against a really good defense. So I was very encouraged by this game overall. In the second half, the, the third quarter in particular, they hit a little bit of a lull where they were not moving the ball quite as well. They had a, a, a three and out, which really hurt. They were getting a little bit behind schedule. But all in all, I thought Maryland acquitted themselves very nicely against the Michigan team, especially responding to some adversity very early in the game. I thought the penalties were worlds better in this one. Maryland just took one penalty for five yards uh, compared to the 15 penalties they took a week ago against SMU. And if I was power ranking the Big Ten right now, I would have a top tier of Ohio State by themselves still. They were super impressive in their win over Wisconsin. Then I'd have a group of Penn State, Michigan, and Minnesota. And then I would put Maryland in a group with Wisconsin and Iowa. I think Maryland is right there in that third tier. Like If they were in the Big Ten West, you could be talking about the Terps as a potential Big Ten West champion. I don't think they're as good as Minnesota, but I think they you can talk about them right there with Wisconsin and Iowa, and now they have an opportunity to go prove it. They play Michigan State at home next weekend. It's a 3-30 game. It would be great to see the place packed and show some enthusiasm for the team. But Michigan State is a reeling football team, and the matchup is almost too perfect for Maryland. A bad secondary against a really talented Maryland receiving core. The The biggest question that I do have is, uh, is star receiver Rakeem Jarrett going to be fully healthy for that game? And is Talia Tungavailoa fully healthy for that game? Because he was definitely banged up. Uh, at the end of the game against Michigan, he actually didn't play in the in the final drive. Backup quarterback led them down the field for for a touchdown score. If the game was a little bit closer, if it had been a one possession game at that point, maybe he would have been there. I'm I'm not so sure. We didn't get much out of uh, Mike Loxley's press conference, so we'll have to see. But if those two guys are fully healthy, Maryland has to take advantage of this opportunity and show to the rest of the conference that, hey, we are a middle to upper tier team. We are not a bottom tier team. If we were in the West, we would be considered a contender for that division. And it starts by beating Michigan State. I truly believe this is a Maryland team that has the opportunity to win seven or eight games. They are three and one right now. They have a stretch of Michigan State at home, Purdue at home, Indiana on the road and Northwestern at home. They need to go three and one in that stretch. If they are three and one in that stretch, six and two overall, that would be a fantastic year clinching a bowl game with four games left that are almost just free money rolls where they go at Wisconsin, at Penn State, Ohio State at home, and then Rutgers at home. So you would hope at a minimum, you know, you get that Rutgers game to end the year, and then you basically have one 
that you have a shot against those three big boys, Wisconsin, Penn State, Ohio State, pull something off there and get to eight wins, that would be a fantastic year for Maryland football and really start to build some momentum for this program and with the fan base in this area. So overall, extraordinarily encouraged by Maryland's performance against Michigan. Excited to see what they do next week against Michigan State. It, it really should be a win if everybody's healthy. Okay, looking ahead to next week, man, oh man, week five is a week that I am super, super excited about. Some of these games we already talked a little bit about, but there's some big, big matchups in the Big 12. Oklahoma State going on the road to Baylor in a top 25 matchup. You also have Texas Tech coming off that big win over Texas, going to Manhattan to take on Kansas State off their big win over Oklahoma, and then Oklahoma at TCU. This is why I'm so excited about the Big 12, because you have all these matchups that are going to be going on all season long, and all those games are about a touchdown or less point spread-wise right now. Oklahoma's a five-point favorite at TCU. Kansas State's seven-and-a-half-point favorite against Tech. And Baylor, a two-point favorite against against Oklahoma State. So, big weekend in the Big 12. Very excited about that. I'm also excited about that Clemson-NC State game that we talked about. Clemson, a seven-point favorite. And this is going to be... This is what NC State has been waiting for. This is their big opportunity. Can they drag Clemson down into the muck and beat them at their own game? Can they beat them in a defensive battle? And I personally think that Clemson is tailor-made to win that game, and you're not going to out-Clemson Clemson, but I can't wait to see NC State try to do it. Huge game in the ACC. Those are some of the games that I'm I'm most looking forward to. And then one more I'm really looking forward to is in the SEC. And it's Kentucky taking on Ole Miss on the road. You know, we talk about who is the third best team in the SEC. I think both of these teams are very much in contention for that conversation. Uh, both teams 4-0 right there with Tennessee. And Kentucky, you know, they have taking care of business, but they haven't always looked great this weekend, beat Northern Illinois 31-23, not the most impressive performance in the world. Ole Miss has has been, I think, really impressive throughout the year, and this was an Ole Miss, Ole Miss team that we weren't sure was going to be so great, but again, they, over this weekend, beat Tulsa 35-27. You want to maybe see a little bit more, so I think this is going to be a, a pretty telling game for both of these teams and seeing, you know, who can come out on top, who can establish themselves, get to five and zero. Uh, because I think right now it's Tennessee, Kentucky, Ole Miss. I think those are probably the three teams for me in the conversation for a third best team in the SEC. We already talked about how down I am on Texas A&M. I think Arkansas was right there, but losing that game yesterday, and that's just a game you have to win. Didn't like Mississippi State, how they played at LSU. So I think those are the three for me, Kentucky, Tennessee, and and Ole Miss, and we'll see who eventually emerges. So a huge game for, for each of those teams. I'm not giving out any bets this week on Sunday. There's nothing that I love, and to be frank, I haven't been great with those Sunday bets that I've been giving out, but you will get all my bets on Twitter, 
Follow me at Gorgon Sports for all the action. Again, having a really good year so far. 24 and 15 against the spread for the season. Six and four last week. Looking to keep that rolling. So follow me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. Well, that's our show for today. I hope everybody had a great weekend. Enjoyed all the week four action. Can't wait to be back with you next week, breaking down everything that happened in week five. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.